Can somebody tell me what the Sam Hill is going on around here? Well, we can't, sir. Well, who are you? With Nerd Alert Squad. Oh, it's alive! It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Welcome to my nightmare. You like scary movies? Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? There are things that go bump in the night. Listen to them, children of the night. They're coming to get you, Barbara. What music they make! You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. We all go a little mad sometimes. There are rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Number one, you can never have sex. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. Red rum! Red rum! Number three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. They're here. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Here's Johnny. I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Matu, Marada. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. I'll be right back. Oh! Hello there, it's Obi John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcasting, and welcome to your weekly Nerd Alert. It's still spooky season, our favorite time of the year, so of course we're going to be bringing you some amazingly programmed spooky content. We've talked about movies on this show, we've talked about monsters, we had a whole monster match tournament. We like to spread the wealth on, on uh, Nerd Alert, so today we're going to be drifting into something we don't talk a lot. Uh, about a lot on the show and we should we're gonna talk about video games specifically one video game but before i get to that let me introduce my co-host today the guys are gonna be here helping me break down this gargantuan franchise we're gonna try to kind of do of a, a, a state of the franchise ish kind of episode on first he's my right hand man he is the loomis to my Tommy Wallace. I didn't think these three was going to be fun this week. Uh, <laughs> the man who tilts windmills with me when we're driving through Iowa. It's Commander Scott. You know, so I, I didn't actually prep. We were on the drive over. We were talking about this. I, I didn't get a chance because work's been so busy to prep a nerd fact. But uh, just us chatting on the way over, uh, we were talking about the, the origins of... Uh, uh, vampires and, and Dracula and such and, and I think I brought up something that uh, you haven't uh, uh, didn't know the the stake through the heart thing because vampires are uh, kind of a melting pot of a lot of different traditions and superstitions down through the centuries they right. just kind of got distilled into a vampire but the stake through the heart was when local villages and townspeople would suspect that a recently deceased person might be returning from the grave they would uh, dig that corpse up to check. And, of course, it had bloated because that's what corpses do, and it would have blood around the mouth where stuff had come out of the orifice. Uh, and, and they would think, oh, yeah, vampire. And so they would take a wooden stake and they would drive it through the corpse into the ground to pin the corpse to the ground, literally just, just nailing him into his coffin, which is where the, 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 the stake through the heart comes from. Also where the phrase nailed it comes from. 
Really? Yeah, you're welcome. But no. Prove me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and that last voice you just heard is our very special guest today, the man who knows more about this franchise than I could possibly hope to forget. And I know that because prior to this, now I always give my co-host crap about not being as prepared as I am for shows because I always have multiple pages of notes and whatnot because I'm that guy. So when I tell you that this gentleman sent me a a word, or uh, um, what's the thing called, Scott? Google sheet. Thank you. A Google sheet that was 18 pages long (laughs) of reference (laughs) material uh, and background information about today's topic. You'll know how much he put me to shame. He is here to help us break down the entire Castlevania series. He's a good friend of the show. It's his first time on. We're going to have him back. Don't worry. He is, and I usually have a cool nickname, but I didn't think of one, um, the Grand Poobah of all things pinball. Hey, yeah. So, so he's the Grand Pinball? <clears throat> he's the pinball wizard of this show. <laughs> <laughs> pinball wizard. <laughs> Sorry. Steven, say hi. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's uh, Steve Lawson. Um, yeah, they invited me onto the show to uh, discuss the topic of Castlevania and... Uh, Retro gaming, classic gaming is near and dear to me. It's something, you know, that I've done back when it wasn't retro. So, <laughs> if that gives you uh, any indication of how old I am. And, uh, you know, I still love it. And as I get older, I uh, enjoy delving into the history of the subject and, you know, learning how this stuff was made, where it come from, thought processes, etc., etc. So, yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> So today, we're talking about one of the longest video game franchises in history that has blurred over into all other kinds of media, but it felt appropriate to do that this topic, Spooky Season, uh, and to focus on this franchise, this series. We're talking Castlevania, and so we're basically going to do sort of a state of the franchise for Castlevania. We're going to talk about what we've gotten up till this point. We're not going to go over every single game in the last 30 plus years. We're going to highlight a few of them. Um, we're going to poke jokes at some other ones, uh, and then we're going to look at, so so again, what we've gotten so far, we're going to take a brief look at what we know is coming down the pipeline for this franchise, and then we're going to wax philosophic about what we as fans want to see from this franchise going forward. So we're going to start at the beginning, uh, where you should always start. 1986. (laughs) My notes say 1476. (laughs) That's when that's when one of the games took place. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nineteen eighty six and the game we all know and love as Akumaji Dracula. Akumajo Dracula. Thank you. See that's yeah. why Steven's on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, the game uh, Castlevania was uh, first released in Japan uh, on the Famicom Disk system. Under the name Akamajo Dracula, um, or Demon Castle Dracula is the translation. And then uh, it was changed to Castlevania in the U.S. to comply with Nintendo and their, frankly, stringent rules about uh, no religious uh, things mentioned in their games, no religious imagery, 
They, you know, they were real sticklers about that. They were trying to get a strong foothold in the U.S. market. I can't imagine 80s parents being at all upset about a game called Demon Castle Dracula. I don't understand why that would upset people. Well. Just pure, clean fun to me. Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, uh, yeah, this game was, uh, it it was the uh, start of the franchise. And, you know, the story was very simple. You are a uh, vampire hunter. His name is Simon Belmont. And your goal is to traverse through Dracula's castle from the entrance all the way to his throne room. The game was uh, intended to be a uh, riff on the uh, Hammer uh, monster movies of the Golden Era film. Uh, Because you fight, uh, you know, mummies, you fight uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, of course, you know. Um, And matter of fact, when you finish the game... And you are standing at the on the cliff at the end, and you're watching the castle crumble and the credits roll. They uh, do a lot of you know things that would you know like funny puns for uh, these names of these old uh, characters and stuff. Like uh, let's see, Bram Stoker for one, <laughs> referring to Bram Stoker, uh, Christopher B. <laughs> in regards to Christopher Lee, pretty pretty sure Ram Stroker is in the uh, the the not safe for work edition. <laughs> right, that's the research Scott did. He delved into yeah. the porn parodies. You're right. <laughs> Apparently, I watched the wrong playthroughs. <laughs> <laughs> so, and interestingly enough, this this was done like this not to be a joke, but uh, during this era, and this really went on up until the PlayStation 1 era, the people that worked on the games were not allowed to credit themselves when uh, with the games, you know, when they were done. So instead they had to use uh, pseudonyms as a result. And, uh, you know, you see this in all kinds of, uh, in, in all kinds of games, you know, especially Japanese games. Um, Capcom was a big one, for example, uh, kind of switching, you know, just to give an example here. Um, and I can't think of the name of the guy that uh, that did this, but his pseudonym was Nin Nin. And he worked this into, like, any game that he worked on, and he did, like, backgrounds for Street Fighter Two and stuff. You know, you would find this in in those backgrounds. Uh, and the best example of that is Street Fighter Two. when you go to uh, Balrog stage, which is one of the first bosses that you fight. Um, you're in Las Vegas fighting outside of Nin Nin Hall. <laughs> So nice, yeah, pretty cool. All right, and it was supposedly to keep them from being poached by other companies. It was to keep their names out of it, so no one would know who did what. Uh, right. But that inadvertently led to a mystery of who actually made Castlevania. Because, um, yeah. like you said, if you're looking at the credits in the game, they're all just punny plays on on horror movie titles. Yes. Um, and I will mispronounce the shit out of this, but it's now believed we were, we're pretty sure. Hitoshi Akamatsu yes. was the actual developer. Yeah, that's pretty close. Okay, <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he he was he did Castlevania, but he didn't do any more after that. I think he left the company after that. Correct. Yeah, and apparently he just left the industry altogether right after that too. Uh, yeah, I was again doing research on it, and that, that's the part of the reason they couldn't track down or had so much trouble finding who did it is because pretty much after this game he just left the entire industry mm-hmm. so it wasn't like he was still working somewhere and he could pop up and like yeah that was me or like you couldn't like track things through other games maybe he'd done and work back from there because this was it 
Like, he basically yeah. made the perfect side-scrolling game that spawned its own genre, dropped the mic, left the industry. Right. Yeah, and you know, Castlevania really was a watershed moment in gaming for the uh, NES and the Famicom because, you know, games up to that point, you know, backgrounds were repeating, you know, tiles weren't very detailed. I mean, there was a lot of love that went into this game. And, I mean, as you progress through the castle, you can see, you know, like the tower where Dracula is. It grows closer and bigger, you know. The tile sets are just, they, you feel like you're making substantial progress through the game as you play, so. Well, and as I hinted at it, it spawned, there's an entire genre of games affectionately called Metroidvania mm-hmm. that this game, obviously, it's in the name, had a huge influence on it. And it's, it's, there were side-scrolling games before this, but mm-hmm. this game and, and Metroid spawned this whole other sort of sub-genre of side-scrollers, stuff where uh, you're, in Metroid more so than this, but, you know, backtracking through certain areas and certain uh, parts of the map are only accessible after you gain certain abilities, so it credits you uh, to remember where you've been and where things are to find hidden objects, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you can, you can talk more to that, but uh, yeah. to have an entire sub-genre named after you in part, you had to do something right. Right. So, yeah, before before we get to that, let's discuss the second game because that's they they really played with that idea in the second game and that was Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest. Um so this game came out I had a timeline pulled up. Let's see. Uh Let's see. It was released in Japan on December 1st, uh, 1988. Or no, I'm sorry, August 28th, 1987 in Japan for the disc system. And then December 1st, 88 in North America on the NES. So the story of this game is um, it takes place right after uh, the original Castlevania. During uh, his battle with Dracula, Simon receives a wound. Uh, It's assumed to be on his back. And before Dracula was killed, he curses the wound, and he curses Simon in the process. And Simon finds out from a gypsy later on, in order to remove that curse, he has to scour the countryside looking for the body parts of Dracula. He then has to take those body parts to the ruins of the castle, perform a ritual, bring Dracula back, and then destroy him once and for all. So... With this game, they uh, the second game of a lot of series on the NES, they're often considered the black sheep of their gaming franchises because they usually take a wild turn. You they know? wanted to be different. They didn't want to just repeat what worked right. the first time. They wanted to push things forward. So, yeah. yeah. This game has a lot more RPG elements. It's sort of like if you ever played um, Link's... Uh, not Link's Zelda 2. Yeah, Zelda 2. Yes. Link's, not Link's Awakening. No, um... The hell's it? it's Link's a link to the, no not a link to the past Link's that's, adventure? that's third adventure of Link thank you good lord uh, yeah which completely <laughs> changed you know the, the, the original Zelda is that top down classic look and the second one is side on it's yeah like yeah. you said they they and you got to give them credit like they didn't want to just rest on the laurels and do another hey let's just make more levels of the same game mm-hmm. uh, but yeah there's a lot of new stuff thrown at the player into for yeah. for Castlevania right yeah so yeah with this one you know you uh, it was really innovative and you know quite a uh, quite a 
big step in that direction because, you know, you had villages that you went into, to, and you had townspeople that you could converse with, um, and then, you know, you moved back and forth through the countryside. You had a day and night cycle. You know? I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, and during night, the monsters, they become bigger and beefier, and then the villagers, they all board the windows up and lock their doors, and monsters take over the villages at night. You know, so, I mean, a lot of stuff going on and a very innovative game, for sure. Um, the game was well-received when it came out, but then nowadays it often gets panned by critics because the townspeople are supposed to give you hints and the translation it was so bad. <laughs> of course, they played fast and loose with a lot of these translations, uh -huh. too, you know. You, you basically needed Nintendo Power or some type of walkthrough in order to play through the game. You know, some of those translations are like, uh, there's a, uh, <laughs> there's one villager that gives you a hint, uh, if you stare at the Death Star long enough, you'll die. And well, it's like, there's yeah. no Death Star in this game. It's in the name, Death Star. Yeah. Or Dark Star, I, I can't remember. And then there's another villager that you go into their hut, and, uh, they're like, stay here and live with me forever. It's like, <laughs> Okay. Okay, I guess the game is over. Game over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're done. Wow, yeah. that was easy. This is almost as easy to beat as A Link to the Past. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then, you know, of course, there were a lot of uh, weird things going on with level designs. Like when you were in the mansions where the body parts of Dracula were kept, you would find invisible blocks that you would just fall through. That's uh, Commander Scott's favorite thing. You know, so you had to equip the holy water item, and you take a few steps, and you throw a holy water. And if the holy water went through, you had to jump. So, you know, that often made those sections a pain in the butt. And it's a lot of it is trial and error. Right. Uh, because, mm -hmm. like you said, the translations didn't quite help out. And, and granted, much more in the second game than the first game. Uh, because it, it, it rewards you replaying over and over and learning patterns and learning layouts and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, the second game, again, there's a bit more of a mystery to it. There's, there's one part where you have to, like, crouch... In the corner of a mountain, wait for a tornado to come yep. to carry you away. <laughs> so, yes, you have to. You find a red crystal item in one of the mansions, and then in order to get to the next mansion, you uh, find this dead end cliff, and there's nothing there. You just walk up to it, and then you crouch down, and with the red crystal equipped, and then you wait, and then a tornado will come through, pick you up, and take you to another section of the countryside. So, yeah, and, and no then there's. Problem. And then there's another there's another one like that. Um, there's a lake that you find, and you uh, I believe it's the white crystal. I think don't don't quote me on that. I can't remember 100. percent But you uh, you have to crouch in front of this lake, and uh, after a few seconds, the screen scrolls down and reveals a staircase and reveals that there's not actually a lake there. It's an illusion. So. But, how, you know, Which, how, how would you know that? It's awesome that they put that much forethought into it. And the the sense of accomplishment when you do finally figure that out is just, like, amazing. That being said, yeah, it's really frustrating trying to figure that out. And, and you mentioned Nintendo Power. Uh, kids, before there was the Internet, you, you would get a magazine <laughs> in the mail. It was, it was a book that came physically to you in the mail. Mm -hmm. And there would be letters people had written in for tips and tricks and whatnot. And there would be articles in the back to help you get through games. Uh, or if you were really lucky and had your parents' permission, you could call the Nintendo helpline, uh, <laughs> yeah. and somebody would walk you through it. Um, One ninety-nine minute. <laughs> yeah. There's actually it's a documentary 
a docu-series on Netflix, and one of the episodes is dedicated to uh, one of the uh, Nintendo counselors talking about his... Uh, I can't remember the name of that series. Um, but yeah, he talks about his experience doing that. The Nintendo Helpline? Yeah, yeah. He, awesome. was, he was a high schooler when he did it. It's crazy. All I know is that at one point... Um, I was, I was, it was one summer or something. I was, I was home by myself a lot. Mom and dad had gone someplace. I don't know what it was. And I was playing my Nintendo and I knew that the hotline existed, but the hotline, if you remember, it was an 800 number. Yeah. Yeah. So my lovely, lovely, young, inexperienced brain thought it was free. (laughs) I did not know it charged. I racked up a 600 and some odd dollar bill. On that, without knowing it. Nice. Mom and Dad were not happy. Can't imagine why. <laughs> Damn, $600. Yep. Wow. I just have an image of young Scott <laughs> sitting on the floor playing Nintendo with your feet kicked up behind you and the, the phone resting on you know, between your shoulder <laughs> and your ear. So, what are you? Yeah, so, I'm on this part and I'm trying to get. What do I do here? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because um, I love side scrollers. Oh, so the name of that series, by the way, is uh, it's called High Score, and it's actually really it's a really good series because uh, they interview uh, Richard Garriott of the uh, Ultima series. Um, the uh, you don't know? Yeah. And you're a PC gamer. You, you're killing me. <laughs> well, I don't know every PC game that was ever made. You never played the Ultima games? No. Okay. All right. Well, before we get off topic, <laughs> I have heard of Ultima Online. Well, it's yeah. These these were the yeah, prequels. To yeah, that. I've I've heard of it, but yeah. yeah. So just for the record, see if this is the most on topic for the longest we've spent like ever on the show. So I'll keep us on task. <laughs> well, I have a I have a love hate relationship with Castlevania. Yes. It's mostly hate. Well, no, yeah. no, no, it's not. It's okay. it's love hate, and it's frustrating to me because every time I hear people like Steve talking about Castlevania, and you know yourself talking about Castlevania, you know. Uh, Simon Belmont, Trevor Belmont, Alucard, whoever the hell, and you're going in and invading the castle, fighting Dracula. I'm like, this sounds awesome! And then I pop in the game, and I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. Don't <laughs> hold it's, back, Scott. It's tell annoying us, as hell. Tell us how you really feel. You know, I try hey. to play it. I want to play it. I want to love it. But all I see is, is go up the stairs, go down the stairs, jump, knock down, die, rinse, repeat. Hey, Scott. Yeah. Get good, scrub. <laughs> why? Because. Because why? Because. It's fun. See, you keep using this word. I don't think it means what you think it means. I do. I, I'll say this in its defense, Scott. I'm very much on your side. I get frustrated and quit stuff a lot very easily. Yeah. But that whole old school generation of games were intended to be more difficult because they knew you were going to be replaying it over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. So th- there's a, a sense of... of not just playing the game, but like Steve said, getting good, uh, learning the patterns, the layout, the tricks. The you know, they was, they wanted you to really get your money out of the game. Well, I mean, I, I... so in, an interesting uh, point talking about the difficulty. Couple things. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, Scott. Um, so one, you know, when we were kids, we didn't think, oh, this game is hard, or we didn't think, oh, this game is unfair, it's unbalanced, blah blah blah. We just thought that it was hard, you know. We didn't understand game design like we do now, you know, 20 years later. And two, companies started making their games intentionally more difficult because they wanted to battle the rental market. 
Mm. So, yeah, you know, that was, uh, you know, they, they hated the thought of someone uh, renting their game and beating it in a weekend and, and never renting it, it yeah, yeah, and then taking it back. And never know? buying it. Either. Right, yeah. yeah, and never buying it, so... Um. You know. Well, I mean, I grew up with this era of games. You know, I started out with the Atari 2600. Well, actually, technically, I started with uh, Commodore 64. But well, I, I didn't know one a friend of mine. You don't have to flex on this show, Scott. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, no, so I grew up, I mean, like, I loved I loved the original Legend of Zelda. Uh, I played it and, and everything. And I, I, I loved Contra. Yeah. I got to the point where I could just get home, just do a run-through of Contra and everything. So I completely understand playing it and getting better and, you know, everything like that. But then I hit Metroid and Castlevania, and I rage quit these games more than anything. I just, I hated them. <laughs> I hated this. I couldn't figure out what the hell I was supposed to do. Nothing made sense. Everything killed me. It was annoying as shit. <laughs> So you, I played, uh, yeah, there's some that I love, but then these I just never could get into. You should hang out with the angry video game nerd. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he, I like his stuff. His his stuff's fun. I love, in one of his episodes, he was talking about, uh, I, think, I think it was uh, Castle, Castle, the original Castlevania, I think. But he's talking about the, or no, it was uh, Zelda II, The Adventure of Link. And there's an enemy... In that game that does the, uh, like the Medusa heads, yeah. the sine wave. The floaty pattern. Yeah. And he's like, whenever I see an enemy doing this in a game, I get fucking pissed because my PTSD comes back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I was cracking up. Yeah. Well, love it or hate it, it, it was, like you said, a watershed moment for gaming. It mm-hmm. did help spawn an entire subgenre, the, the Metroidvania genre. Uh, Absolutely. If you ever wanted to measure the success of a game or a franchise, just look at what followed it. It was followed by, if my count is correct, 27 sequels, reboots, and spinoffs. Uh, most recently, Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2 in 2014. So that's 1986 to 2014. Pretty uh-huh. good run. I thought the last one was Grimoire of Souls. After Lords of Shadow 2. Let me check. Let me check on that. But, uh... Well, while they're looking, let me continue to keep you entertained with why I hate... (laughs) Unless Wikipedia is wrong, which is Wikipedia, so it could be. Okay. Alright, yeah. So, um... Yeah, I don't think think Grimoire of Souls was a, uh... Was a mainline entry. Okay. So... Yeah, yeah was... there are spinoffs. There's the uh, the Vampire Hunter series, which is sort of a reskin of Castlevania. That was the MSX games, correct? I yeah. Believe, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. It was basically it was basically the game uh, Castlevania, but for that system. It was made specifically for that right. console uh, or that computer, I guess. So through the years, Castlevania has changed, ebbed and flowed a bit. Um, Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest, we have the RPG elements coming in, which would show up in later games. Yeah. Um, Lords of Shadow was basically a God of War style game with Castlevania skin on it. Um, Castlevania 64, which I have fond memories of, but most people don't, and I understand oh. why, uh, was the first Castlevania game to move it in a fully 3D environment. Um, yep. That being said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Most of the games, the overwhelming majority of the games in this series still follow that same old school 2D side scrolling castle or Metroidvania style gameplay because it works. Yes, yes. So um, let's uh, let's jump back to the NES era yes. and discuss Castlevania 3. All right, so Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse or Akamajo Densetsu Demon Castle Legend in Japan. Um, 
It was released for the Famicom Disk System December 22nd, 1989, and then in North America on the NES September 1st, 1990. That made one hell of a birthday present, my 10th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so this was the third mainline uh, game in the series, and this is when Konami said, you know, we... Uh, we, we've got a legacy brand here, you know, this, this is a game that people enjoy and people want to buy and play more of, so they decided to actually start building lore around it. So this game is a prequel. Um, you play as Trevor Belmont, <clears throat> and you are, um, the, the game takes place um, in, uh, where's the date on? Uh, 1476, um, Count Dracula starts to uh, ravage Europe with an army of monsters. Um, the Belmont family, who was uh, once exiled uh, by the church in Wallachia, they are finally called into action by the church because the church was initially afraid of them and their power and their knowledge. But, uh, you know, after, you know, Dracula starts showing up, they're like, hey, Maybe these guys aren't so bad. So, um, this game, you uh, it goes back to the roots of Castlevania 1. But in this one, a after you play the first stage, you get branching paths. So, you get to decide, you know, which way do I want to go. I want to play this level. It might be easier. This level is more difficult. You also get, um, you also get helpers. Um, they are... Uh, they are, <clears throat> let me find it here, um, Saifa Belnades. She is a young sorceress with uh, poor physical attack power, but she uses magic. That's her bread and butter. Um, you get uh, Grant the Nasty. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> He's the pirate, right? Uh, a pirate with the ability to climb on walls and change direction in mid-jump. Spider pirate. Yep, exactly. And then, and then, of course, we get introduced to Alucard, Dracula's son, a Dampier, or Dampier, however you say it, uh, with the ability to shoot fireballs and transform into a bat. And let me tell you how much Alucard sucked in this game. Oh, my God. Like, everything about him, from his character design to his abilities in battle. He uses, uh, I believe it was, they're called the Eyes of Destruction. And it's basically like, it looks like a crystal. And you shoot it out. And it is the weakest weapon in the game. The weakest main weapon in the game. Like, Saifa is stronger than him. Wow. Yeah, she uses a cane, and it only reaches out a few pixels. <laughs> She's whacking people with it. This thing, you know, everybody everybody can kill a bat, which is the weakest enemy in the game, with one hit. It takes him two shots of the Eye of Destruction. To kill a bat? To kill a bat. Wow. The only redeeming quality about Alucard is that you can turn him into a bat. So you can skip, like, whole big platforming sections. There you go. <laughs> Commander Scott. <laughs> so. He has the most harumph face I've seen. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I stumbled across something here real quick, but go ahead. This is I'll, why you can't have your phone in front of you uh, but, it, but it's it's show-related. Oh, okay. It's topic-related. No. Okay. So. No, um, Scott, we said we're not doing the porn parodies. <laughs> Get off porn oh, shit. God. <laughs> I wish you'd be more clear about these things up front. So, um, but as you play through the game, you would, uh, in certain paths you would take, you would find these characters, and then after you beat uh, the boss, uh, 
that was basically, you know, keeping them captive, you could choose to take them along with you or not. And then as you're playing, you know, in the middle of the stage, you could press a select button and you would switch back and forth between characters. And uh, you get there were multiple endings in the game, depending on who you picked as a uh, as a companion character to take. You could also choose to not take any companion characters and go straight to the end and beat Dracula that way. So that uh, was something pretty cool. So the game uh, definitely, it received strong praise from all of its uh, critics and review outlets at the time, saying it was a great return to form, and it really pushed the series into new heights and established a lot of tropes that would be a big part of the series moving forward into the future. So, yes, um, good game, good game. Um, few things, few things to note because we'll be talking about the uh, the animated series here shortly. Saifa's gender in the game isn't re isn't revealed until the end of the game, and the American Manual refers to her as male. So, yeah, almost like the new kids were looking to play her. <laughs> right, right. Well, I don't know because you know. Samus from Metroid. But you don't know that till the end either. Yeah, but I mean that game was already out, and you know uh, we were all like, you know, oh that's cool. It was the eighties. We couldn't have a female action figure till wave two of any action figure line ever because they're like, oh boys won't buy that. That's that's uh, whether us whether the kids would have or not, it wasn't up to us. The people making the decisions just decided, oh you're not, we'll play with a girl. Well, to be fair, I, I mean I had a She-Ra to go along with my He-Man figures, so well, yeah. <laughs> I had Tila. Yeah, I had a Tila. Yeah, I had uh, Evil Lynn. All those. So, anyway, let's see. Uh, the next thing to note. The version of Alucard presented in the anime is a redesign of him and Symphony of the Night. From Symphony of the Night, which is a game that I'm sure we'll discuss here momentarily. First conceptualized by Ayami Kojima. And I also want to mention here that she is not related to or the wife of the legendary... Uh, designer, programmer, also from Konami, uh, Hideo Kojima. I was curious about that. Yes, no, she is not. Um, she debuted her talents as a character. I know you know Hideo Kojima, Scott. Nope. Middle Gear Solid? No, I hate that game. <laughs> <laughs> that game, fuck. Oh. You can throw that game right out the window. First time I shot a guard and he went back to sleep, I was done with that game. That was 30 seconds in. Never went back to the franchise? Nope. At any point? Nope. Okay. All right. All right. We'll put a pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Um, she would uh, she'd first debut her uh, her talents as a uh, as an artist and designer uh, for Symphony of the Night, and then uh, she would go on to uh, lend her artistic talents on the uh, latter games in the uh, series. All the way up through the DS games. She did lots of cover art, didn't she? Yes. Yeah. Cover art, character designs, yeah. yeah, the whole bit. So let's see. Uh, the third ally you could team up with in the game, Grant the Nasty. Um, a thief turned night creature by Dracula and placed atop the clock tower as a guard. Um, he uh, he is noticeably absent from the anime series. Grant the Nasty. Yes. Are you sure we're not talking about the porn parody? I am sure. <laughs> when asked... Uh, um, Warren Ellison, the the writer of the series, said, "No, 
I intentionally left him out because A, a pirate doesn't really fit in this story, and B, that name is stupid. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what he said, yeah. So he had the same reaction you just did, Scott. Fair enough. Yeah. Only I don't think he was thinking porn parody. Well, yeah, but he didn't have a running joke to call back to, so. Well, yeah. You know. That's so. just bad writing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Um, what are we going to, what game are we going to discuss next? Or are we going to go straight to Curse of Darkness? Well, uh, what other big games do we need to talk? I mean, that's, uh, again, there's there's tons of games over 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. Any highlights to hit? Um, well, two of my favorite games, and uh, I was discussing this with Commander Scott uh, on our way over, are uh, Rondo of Blood mm-hmm. and Symphony of the Night. They were, in my opinion, they were the high point of the series. Um, you know, and of course, Symphony of the Night... That's where the term Metroidvania was officially coined at because okay. because it took Symphony of the Night or it took uh, Castlevania gameplay and tropes from that world and combined it with uh, the exploration of Metroid and I mean it was just a match made in heaven and Konami knew that they had uh, struck with uh, with lightning they had you know hit hit a vein of gold because every game that came out after that was in that style. And uh, I played up through the Game Boy Advance games. Um, uh, Aria of Sorrow was the last one that I played. And then when the DS games came out and they were still in that uh, style, I was like, yeah, I'm going to take a break from this. <laughs> you know, it's like you can only, I can only do this so often. You know, I need, uh, I need you to space these out about 10, 15 years apiece like they do with Metroid. <laughs> <laughs> so, but... Yeah, those uh, those two are my favorites, uh, you know, of the series. Period. They were the high points, you know. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, we can talk about more about. Those yeah, let's talk about here. why Castlevania '64 is the best of the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay. Yeah. No. So that, that <laughs> look, I had memories of playing the original as a kid, and like we talked about before the show, memories of watching my older brother play a lot. And then rage quit, and then picking up after he left the room. Mm-hmm. So we had a '64, and you know we had Goldeneye and Mario and all that. So when I heard they were making a Castlevania for '64, I got super excited. Like, oh man! You know, in my mind, I'm thinking Ocarina of Time, but with Castlevania, you, how do you mess that up? That's going to be amazing. And then I got <laughs> the game, and I was very let down very quickly because in part of the problem, a lot of people say is you know the, the first level of that game is the worst level of the entire game. It's a very bland design. Well, when uh, when you have skeletons riding scooters through the <laughs> landscape, and this is supposed to be, you know, I forget when the time period is, 1400s, 1500s, you know, it's like... It's the olden days, yeah. Yeah, it's like, why? Yeah. Well, I didn't learn this until I'm doing research, but apparently there was one of the... Initially, you were supposed to have four different playable characters, mm-hmm. and one of them was a guy called Collar, who literally had a shotgun and a chainsaw arm. Yep. <laughs> so it's Ash. Yeah. But he doesn't talk. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that got dropped, but uh, his, his character design ends up as a villain at some point in the game. But mm-hmm. no, that's... Again, this is just my own personal touch point, because that's like... I. I played the original Castlevania. I maybe played the second or third one at some point. We never had a Super Nintendo, so I missed all those, mm-hmm. um, which is why I'm trying to go back as a you know grown up and replay them. Yeah. But my next touching point with this franchise was Castlevania 64. 
Which, yeah, no, you, that, you poor, that sums it up. You poor, poor thing. Ho- uh, ho- uh, hopefully that did not scar you from the rest of the series. So, the, the, big, the big issue with Castlevania 64 is they didn't have a good idea on how to translate a predominantly 2D franchise like that into 3D. You know, Nintendo did it flawlessly with Mario 64. You know, um, a lot of companies, you know, they came through hit or miss with theirs. And, I mean, Konami, they just flubbed it, you know. Swing, you know, ball, take your base. <laughs> Less than a year after the release, they had a, a it had a subtitle, but it was basically a 2.0 version. Yeah. Um, which yeah. was a much more polished version of the game mm-hmm. uh, that yeah, I never it played. Still, it, yeah. it still wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my my memory of that game is uh, there is a section in the castle where you have to pick up. Uh, I think it's I think it's nitroglycerin or glycerin or something. You're trying to make TNT, and when you pick it up, it says you can't jump. Any like sudden movements or vibrations, yeah, it will I explode. That. Yep. So you had to walk back. You couldn't like full sprint back. You had to walk back and slow walk. Yeah, slow walk. And if anything, if you got attacked by an enemy or anything, it was boom, lights out, one hit death. And it's like, oh my god. Well, I, mean, I actually beat that game. <laughs> to, to be honest, I mean, you know, carrying nitroglycerin is probably not the safest thing to do at all. Right. You know. Yeah. I'm sure. You know, I mean, it would be easier to carry the sawdust and inert materials to the nitroglycerin to turn it into trinitrotoluate, but instead of but, carrying the nitroglycerin back to the other stuff. Well, but the other stuff's already where the wall is at that you need to blow up. Yeah, but still, it would still be safer to take the inert materials to the nitro, make TNT, and then take it back to the wall. Scott, okay. this is gaming logic. I'm just yeah. saying. Get your logic out of our video. <laughs> it would just make a lot more sense. <laughs> Stop trying to science this. Just... <laughs> yeah, quit being Scott. <laughs> that is inherently difficult. I know. I know. <laughs> so, yep, yep. I, like I said, I played, I beat that game, and I immediately took it back to <laughs> Walden Software and said, wow. I would like my money back for this. I want... Symphony of the Night. <laughs> I want any other Castlevania game. Yes. Walden's, Walden's and Babbage's. Yep. Yep. I don't know who Walden's is named after, but Babbage's is named after the guy who built the differential engine. One of the first early computers. No. Charles Babbage, I think his name was. No. Yeah. Interesting. What? And you said you had no nerdy facts prepared for us today. <laughs> I wasn't Look prepared. That just was off the, the top. That was off the top of my head. <laughs> Uh, well, so with a firm establishment, uh, the video game series, you can't touch Castlevania. Uh, even though we haven't had a game for a long time, it's one of those fran- IPs that is instantly recognizable by multiple generations of gamers. Mm-hmm. So it's only a matter of time before we make the leap out of video games and into other properties. And that leads us to uh, point two in what we've gotten. This is much more recent. 2017, Netflix releases what they call a season <laughs> sorry netflix four episodes at an hour and 20 minutes is not a season no uh, it's a teaser they were yeah yeah they released a very cool animated short film uh-huh. uh castlevania season one uh which took story inspiration from a few of the games um but what it did for netflix and streaming and their anime stuff 
uh, was huge. But before we get to that, um, a little bit of the background of how the series came to be. Yeah. Uh, it actually started as a movie way back in the 2000s, and I'll get even further back than that when we get to some other things later on. Uh, but Warren Ellis, the, the famous comic book author, was approached to write a movie uh, around 2007 uh, based mostly on the story of Castlevania 3. He kind of developed it. Short version, the, the project wallowed in development hell and never came to fruition. Fast forward to 2012, I think? 2015. Uh, 2015. Uh, a new studio comes in and picks up the license uh, with the intention of doing it as a series using uh, Warren Ellis' uh, movie script as a jumping on uh, point. With uh, So they brought Warren Ellis in to kind of readapt his script into multiple uh, episodes. And... The rest is kind of history. Yeah. That's a very loose uh, gloss over of what happened. Yeah. So um, it's it's worth noting that uh, it was developed by uh, Adi uh, Shankar. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And uh, he's best known for uh, his bootleg universe uh, one-shot series um, stuff on YouTube. You know, The Punisher, Dirty Laundry, uh, Truth and Journalism, and Power Rangers. Yeah. yeah. Dirty Laundry, the best and only Punisher sequel we will ever get. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah, I went back and I watched uh, some of that stuff because I'd only seen Power Rangers. And, uh, you know. That's Power Slash Rangers, not to be confused with Saban's Power Rangers. Right. Trust me, you won't confuse the two. I would, this, that is the Power Rangers movie that I would want to have. We all deserve. That is the Power Rangers movie I never <laughs> want to see in the light of day. Really? Yeah, no. Uh, we can come to that at some point, but I, I hated that. Uh, hmm. it, it, there are some projects, there are some properties that lend themselves to... A.D. Uh, Shakar has this whole thing of like doing the dark, gritty, edgy version of stuff. And like Punisher, that works. Venom, that works. Power Rangers is a show about people in bright spandex who fight giant monsters. Quit trying to make it like an R-rated grunge fest. It, it, it comes off as being like 90s comics where it's like, Extreme! Because we spelled the name wrong. We put Y's instead of I's and everyone has pouches. And like, it, it just stop. Like certain properties loan themselves to a darker interpretation. I don't think Power Rangers is one of them. Uh, especially when you throw in random boobs in the, uh, the F-bomb so you can get an R rating for your trailer for a movie that doesn't exist. Uh, you gotta admit... That when Zach goes into the uh, wherever he was at, and uh, you know he, they're like the the drug lord, I guess, was like, kill him. He goes, it's morphin' time. And he throws the helmet at one of the guys. It bounces off of him, and then boop on his head. That was pretty badass. The action's cool. Yeah, everything <laughs> else about that I freaking hate. Okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. I I enjoyed it. I, I really did. So, but that's back on a topic. Yeah. Uh, no, and, and look, Castlevania is a property that loans itself to being dark and gritty. So he, yes. he's a perfect fit for this. Yes, yes. So uh, let's see. The series premiered on Netflix on July seventh, twenty seventeen. See, and was renewed for an expanded second season of eight episodes on the same day. Because when it hit, it hit like a ton of bricks. And I remember the day that it came out. My nephew, who was living with me at the time. He had turned on the TV, it was after school, and he was like, hey, have you seen this? And there it was, and I was like, ooh, after dinner, we're going to watch that. <laughs> and, ooh, yeah, I was like, holy cow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, w- I fell in love immediately. I was so bummed there was only four episodes. Yeah, uh, I watched the whole thing in one sitting because again, it's not really a season. It's it's a TV. It, it's a movie. Yeah. Um, came in, coworker to watch it. So that's all we talked about the whole next day was was how much we enjoyed that and and how much of a complete cock tease it was that it, it, it ends right as it's just getting started. Uh, and I was like, yeah, well, they renewed it for a season two. I'm like, yeah, they freaking better have renewed it for a season two. What, what were they waiting for? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, and and it is, it's everything I, I w- would have thought I wanted a Castlevania project to be like. It, it's very true to the lore of the games, which is hard to do because it's been retconned and redone and, and, and rebooted so many times it kind of cherry picks elements from games and blur, blends them together with the stuff it's added itself mm-hmm. which is exactly what it should be it, yeah. it shouldn't ever verbatim be one story from one game it should be like here's a cross section of what makes Castlevania great yeah and and I also too I think that's where a lot of uh, movie adaptations of video games and stuff fail because they try to Adapt, or they steer way too far off of the source material. Look at the Street Fighter movie, for example. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. What's your name? Mario Mario. <laughs> What's his name? Luigi Mario. If the producers hadn't stepped in, the directors didn't even want them to put on the colored overalls for that movie. That's how little they cared about their source material. Um, but no, like <laughs> Castlevania was a great ad- ad- adaptation, and granted, they had the benefit of multiple seasons of the show, so we got to really take our time with the characters and set everybody up, and everyone kind of gets their own arc and their own storyline, which is great. You can't necessarily do that in a two-hour movie. Um, it's animated, so our budget goes a lot farther. We can have entire towns laid waste and giant monsters, and you know, because we're not worried about live-action elements. Mm-hmm. Not that animation is cheap, but. Yeah. Um, the budget goes. You can do a lot bigger stories with animation on a smaller budget. Mm-hmm. Look at um, season one of Invincible on Amazon, and how greatly fleshed out that universe is compared to like The Boys, uh, where you've still only met like a dozen superheroes in a world supposedly filled with superheroes, mm-hmm. and we only ever see these same seven people over and over again. Yeah. So should we discuss the seasons? Like, give a brief overview? We can do it as a whole. We don't need to get into plot specifics or whatnot. In general, um, season one, season, quote-unquote, is literally just, it's it's act one of the story. It's here's your characters. Yeah. Uh, We were introduced to uh, uh, Trevor Belmont, um, and the Belmont name uh, does not carry any weight. Nope, nope. They were excommunicated by the church in Wallachia, so... Um, and of course, we find out later on in season two that uh, Trevor's parents were killed, and he's been on his own since he was twelve. He can't read, <laughs> he can't write, and he is only starting to remember the lore and teachings of the passed down from his family uh, when he starts, you know, actually going out and helping, you know, fight the night creatures and stuff. Because so. thankfully, he remembers how to wield a whip. Yes, yes. Which so. is all we really needed to do. Right. So, yeah, the story kicks off when he shows up to uh, shows up to Targo Vista. And uh, the reason night creatures are attacking is because the, ser- the uh, season starts off with a woman being burned at stake. And she's being accused of witchcraft. You find out later that this is Lisa Tepesh, uh, wife of Count Vlad Dracula Tepesh. 
I didn't think it started out with her being murdered at the stake. It starts out with her meeting Dracula. No, because she shows... wants because she wants to be a doctor, and then it flashes forward to that. See, I remember it showing her being burned at the stake. Then it flashes back to. I'm pretty sure it shows up with the it starts out with her showing up at at Dracula's castle. No, no. Okay. Well, and the reason I say that is because I so when this came out, you know, several people in, in our group, of course, you know. Uh, John here. One of them watched it and you liked it and loved it and raved and so I'm like, well, I'll give it a shot. And I watched the first two episodes and I did not like it. I was Imagine not happy. That. There's a theme. I was, <laughs> I was not happy. I was I was a little bored because uh, there wasn't a lot that happens like at the beginning because there's just a lot of story and exposition. I'm like, okay, but I don't know. I got pulled off into something else. Now, flash forward to when either season three had dropped or season four was getting ready to drop or something. And I'm like, I should watch that because I'd completely forgotten that I watched it. <laughs> and so I went back and I restarted it. And I'm like, I remember watching this. Why did I hate this? Because this is actually good. And then I liked it. I was For some odd reason, I didn't like it that first time. And I went back and watched it a second time several years later and stuff. So, so I just checked, and you are correct. It does start off with her... Going to uh, Dracula's castle and meeting him, talking about she wants to learn the sciences. Yeah, she wants to be a doctor. Yeah, she wants yeah. to be a doctor. Yeah. Never tell Scott he's right on this show. <laughs> no? Never admit that. No? no? Okay. So we'll edit it out. All right. <laughs> He'll fix it in post. It's okay. Right. right. So, after, uh, or while she's being burned at the stake, a giant swarm of bats show up over this and takes on the face of Dracula, and he's like... You've got one year to make your peace with your God, and then I'm going to unleash an army of darkness on your uh, on the entire countryside of Wallachia. And uh, then after that is when we meet Trevor, and he's at a tavern, and you know it's really interesting the way that they did they structured you know the uh, people uh, in the universe, you know, because they're in there having a conversation. You got the commoners and. They're talking about screwing farm animals and then, you know, how the church and the Belmonts think they're better than everybody else and they're just shit. And then they find out that he's a he's a Belmont and, you know, want to kick his ass. Yeah. So Yeah, it does him no favor as being from the Belmont family. Right. So but then we fast forward, he shows up at Targa Vista where the Narcutrius have been attacking nightly and uh, he runs into uh, a group of people called speakers and they're basically they're, they're basically, you know, they carry all their knowledge with them. They don't write their knowledge down, and they're spreading their knowledge to everyone across the land. They're gypsies, basically. And then uh, the town, or the uh, church is blaming the speakers for the night creatures' attacks, and uh, the mob's going to get them, and Trevor's like, you got to leave. And uh, the grandfather who he saved from two uh, corrupt priests was like, no, I can't because my grandchild is lost in the catacombs. So he goes down in the catacombs, and he fights Cyclops, and that's exactly like the game. You fight a Cyclops, and when you beat Cyclops, Cypha is a statue, and she forms back into, you know, her human form. So, you know, I thought that was a pretty cool nod. Um, and then uh, he takes her back, and that, you know, they, they talk, and she's like, I'm looking for this legendary hero that can uh, defeat Dracula uh, in the catacombs. And he's like, there's nothing down there, you know. So, uh, they they then decide to try to help the townspeople uh, defend against the night creature attack. And during that attack, they fall through a uh, 
through the ground and they wander, they stumble upon the, where the uh, legendary hero apparently sleeps. Only Trevor realizes right away it's a vampire. It's not a hero. And uh, that's where we first meet Alucard. So they fight and that, that's where the season ends at. Is it literally ends with the three of them teaming up. Him, Alucard saying, okay, you guys might be able to help me. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the three of them going off to kill his dad, and that's, boom, roll credits. Literally right as the story is leaving it's Act starting, 1 yeah, is, is when it starts, which mm-hmm. is which, which, yeah, yeah. the oh, total cocktease way to end it. All I know is I hate it when I fall through the ground. <laughs> you know, <laughs> discover a sleeping vampire you discover a sleeping that you thought vampire. was a savior. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, no. you be bopping along, and all of a sudden, oh, shit, damn, I'm underground now. I hate that. <laughs> So, see, Scott, it was true to your experience of Castlevania, just walking along, and then boom, falls the ground. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Stairs don't work. I guess it's, yeah, I guess it's how they bring the the, the feel of the game into it. They go up, they don't go down. They they go up, and then then they fall down again, and they gotta go back up, and then they'll fall down again. And they fell quite away. In those in those catacombs. <laughs> season season two does a great job of expanding on the lore even further. It introduces all kinds of other vampires and this whole sort yeah. of uh, caste system of vampires uh, that are subservient to Dracula. And this war started gets going, and you sort of get this Game of Thrones ish kind of thing between the different factions of vampires. Meanwhile, our heroes are tracking down Dracula, trying to figure out how to kill him. Uh, we yeah. see Simon get the. Um, the Morning Star. Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, which was my favorite part. I was like, oh, oh what's there? Yes. I had a nerd moment. Yes, um, yes, me too. And what I thought was, okay, we're setting things up for future seasons, which it is. Um, the last two episodes of this of season two... It just went off like a... Yeah, yeah. It, it's like... Uh, we covered what I thought would be two seasons worth of story stuff in two episodes. It was crazy. I loved it. It's all beautifully done. Mm-hmm. When when the three of them, Alucard and Sypha and, and Trevor, raid, go into raid Dracula's castle, uh, it is some of the most beautiful combat animation anime stuff I've ever seen. It's beautiful. It's gory. It's horrific. Uh, but it's you can't look away. Yep. Uh, and they, at the end of season two, spoiler, we kill Dracula. Yeah. So I want to talk for a minute about uh, <clears throat> the way that they uh, the, the way that they did some uh, they did introduce some really emotional topics. Um, so when uh, while Dracula assembles his uh, his war council, all he's doing is basically grieving in his study, and uh, you know he's just like yeah. Destroy all humans. I don't give a shit how you do it, basically. And then uh, you have uh, this character. His name is Godbrand. He's a Viking vampire, and he's used a lot for foreshadowing, you know, because he announces, basically, spoiler alert, Alucard's going to kill Dracula because he's as strong as Dracula, and he's out there, and he's alive, and he's planning, and he's plotting. And we find this out uh, through Carmilla, and her uh, team up with one of the Forge Masters, uh, Hector. Um, but, you know, he, he, you got that grief, that grief of loss that he's feeling, you know, from the death of a loved one. And then at the end of the season, um, it, it ends with Alucard and Dracula facing off. And this, this, whole, this whole end sequence just really grabbed me. And I can relate to it because, you know, I, I have a child and, you know, um, they are 
they're just basically tearing through the castle, fighting, and they end up in the observatory. Dracula gets the upper hand and smashes Alucard into a hallway and into a room, and when he dashes into the room, Alucard's laying there kind of unconscious for a moment, stunned, and he just looks up in horror, looks around the room, and he realizes that that is Alucard's childhood room. And he sees the picture, the family picture on the wall, and he just stops, and he's like, Lisa, I'm killing my boy. I'm killing our boy, you know, it's, he's the greatest gift you ever gave to me and I'm killing him, you know, and then he starts remembering, you know, them decorating the room and, you know, Alucard's a child and Alucard's like, okay, I got to take this moment and yep. stakes Dracula and kills him right there. And that's the moment where Dracula becomes a pussy. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, the, the one time Dracula stops and really shows his humanity yeah. ends up being his downfall. Yep. And then uh, after, you know, Alucard stakes him, Sypha and Trevor come in. Sypha's like, uh, we need to finish this. And she burns the remains. And uh, <clears throat> then it goes on and it kind of ties up all the loose ends there to the, to the season. And we end the season with Alucard in his childhood room and he's finally uh, able to grieve the loss of both of his parents and it ends with him just you know having that uh, having that moment you know just crying crying to himself so um, it was very sad very very somber ending to that season and uh, it was really gripping in my opinion I want to back up a bit uh, yeah Godbrand <laughs> the best part of season two, voiced by Peter Stormare, uh, is just that guy who absolutely loves being a vampire, loves every bit of being a vampire, uh, and is, he is a bull in a china shop, and every time he's on screen, it is so much fun to watch. Uh, the voice cast in general for this show is phenomenal. Yes. Um, I'm going to rattle off names here. Yeah. you got Richard Armitage, uh, a.k.a. Thorin Oakenshield, as Trevor Belmont. James Callis uh, as Alucard, who was Baltar in Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Alejandro Reynoso is Saifa, who's mostly a voiceover actor. She does a lot of cartoon shows on Nickelodeon and a lot of video games. Uh, Graham McTavish as Dracula. Guest stars including Bill Nighy, Matt Frewer, Malcolm McDowell, Jason Isaacs, like I said, Peter Stormare. It's a killer voice cast and all of them do a fantastic job bringing these characters to life uh, it's so infinitely fun to watch mm-hmm. and, and see the, the one downfall I kind of give the season 2 there's a lot of new characters thrown at you and they don't all necessarily really matter in season 2 because what they're there for is to carry it on after we kill Dracula Yes, um, and that's season 3's big thing to, to bear is okay Dracula's dead now what Yeah. so luckily they had Curse of Darkness to to walk that through and uh that's where we basically we get into the forge masters story arc you know and we we focus heavily more heavily on them than we do the other characters and we get vampires who are arguably even more evil than dracula who are trying to literally conquer humanity to (laughs) enslave them all oh yeah Uh, carmilla yeah carmilla Uh, and uh what is the name of her kingdom but you get little armies of vampires in armor, like Lord of the Rings-esque battles, which was awesome to see in this show, uh, as well as the, the Forge Masters 
creating all kinds of crazy, ridiculously hideous new monsters. Uh, so they really do ratchet up the, the stakes of things. Um, Sypha and Trevor kind of go off and have their romance, and they stumble across a, kind of their own storyline. It's very much Empire Strikes Back. Of We had our main characters come together for the first two seasons, which is really, you know, one season. Um, and then the second part, we split everybody up. Yeah. And everyone's off kind of on their own, uh, having their own adventures. And then everyone comes back together for season four, um, which is all about resurrecting Dracula. Yeah. And so if we're going to discuss that, uh, in season three, this is where we meet St. Germain. Yes. So in, uh, in the game Dracula's Curse, he is a time traveler, and he can use the infinite corridor at will. And uh, Hector is the main character of that game. And he encounters Hector at one point, and he's like, I can't interfere with what you're doing. He said, but I urge you to stop your what you're doing. You know, stop your quest. And Hector's quest during that is to uh, kill Isaac. And uh, uh, because Isaac is basically controlling Dracula's curse after Dracula is dead, keeping it on the land. Um in this, they used uh, Saint Germain. He was he was definitely a minor character, um, and we didn't really know what he was up to. We just knew that uh, the night creatures in the that the uh, monks in in the town that they were in were were you know they were doing something with it, and they were trying to resurrect Dracula. We found out later, but all Saint Germain cared about was uh, opening the infinite corridor and. He started out with uh, reading the text that they had there at the church, and then all of a sudden he was like, "Oh yeah, we well if you're doing this, you know, I don't care what you're trying to do. I'm just gonna get the, get in the infinite corridor when you open it." So you know that's uh, and and he plays a much bigger role in season four. Oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah, the seeds planted in three pay off big time in four. Yes. Um, yes. Um, but yeah, the. Uh, yeah, the season three was definitely the um, the Forge Master story arc. You had Hector, who was kidnapped by Carmilla and is being held in her kingdoms of Hysteria. Um, and basically, they're trying to get him to make uh, night creatures for their army because she, Carmilla, has decided that she's going to do what Dracula started to do, but uh, ultimately could not do. Would not do because he was he was so you know entrenched in grief, um, and then uh, she gets uh, Lenore to uh, try to convince Hector otherwise, and she eventually tricks him and puts a uh, ring that she can control him with uh, on his finger, you know, by seducing him, and then uh, with Isaac uh, before Dracula fought uh, Trevor, Sypha, and Alucard. Isaac was standing guard, and, you know, Isaac was a fierce loyalist to Dracula, and he was like, you know, I'll never leave you, my lord. And then uh, Dracula opens a, uh, a portal and throws Isaac off somewhere in the continent, I'm assuming uh, in, like, the Persia region or something, where there was desert, wherever he was at, um, you know, to save him, you know, because Dracula, he was the one human that Dracula really loved and respected. You know, outside of his wife, um, 
So yeah, they uh, it it details Isaac and his journey, and he's constantly battling: are humans good or bad? You know, and uh, one minute he's he's uh, pleasantly surprised by humans, and then the next minute he's let down, and he's like, yeah, all my night creatures kill him. <laughs> you know. And then, you know, Hector is fighting this battle, you know, I don't want to help you, uh, especially after Carmilla kidnapped me, tricked me, and beat the shit out of me to get me here. So, you know, there was that, there was that whole paradigm, that whole struggle there. So, um, yeah. And then uh, we, we, we need to mention Alucard because I think it's important. Um, so Alucard is uh, staying in the castle by himself. The castle got teleported over top of the Belmont Hold, so all that's there in one place now, and he's like guardian over it, basically. And he runs into uh, these two teenagers, uh, Taka and Sumi. They are, uh, they are from Japan, and they were basically warriors held uh, hostage by the uh, by Cho. Or, yeah, yeah, Cho, the uh, the Japanese vampire, which I thought was really interesting how that they, you know... That was one thing I would have wished they'd played more with and, and done more than four seasons on, is they introduced the, the Council of Vampires, basically, and they're very varied. There's an Egyptian vampire. They, visually, they look amazing, and you feel like, wow, there's stories to be told there, and we don't really get time to spend with them. Right. They they really rushed the end in season two, almost a little bit to the detriment. Knowing if if we're gonna end it with taking Dracula out here, I would have liked to have spent some more time with some of those characters to make them a bit more of a threat. And maybe okay, now the Dracula's gone, but the Council's still here. We have to go after them mm-hmm. um, because yeah, there's a lot of really interesting characters that kind of get glossed over. Right. Uh, in in the long run of of pushing things forward and keeping things moving. Yeah, and there's a lot of really cool stuff. I feel like we could have mined further, but the yeah. show isn't quite done yet. Right. Uh, but that introduces the whole Alucard storyline of, of sort of opening himself back up because he's literally locked himself off in his castle and he's off by himself, and he's finally letting people back in, and yeah. they they're asking him for help to come free their people and, and kill yeah. the vampires where yeah. they are. Te- teach us how to hunt vampires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he starts, and it, it gets to the point where he's he's opened himself up. Uh, and it turns out to be completely mistrusted. Yeah, well, they uh, they get pissed off because they think that he's holding back information from them, you know. And I love how that scene played out because you know they use the thing to hold him onto the bed, and they were going to stake him, and uh, or well, they weren't going to stake him; they were going to stab him with daggers. And his magic sword, his signature magic sword, comes through and slices their throats. And he tells them, he said. He said, my father uh, had an aversion to uh, magical weapons, but I never said I didn't use them, you know. And then they're laying there, bleeding out, holding their throats. And, of course, at the end, you know, he uh, he's laying on the floor crying after he frees himself, you know, because he's, he's heartbroken yet again. And it shows at the very end, he's uh, placing them on stakes in front of the castle. And he's feeling that bitterness and that anger that his father had for years toward humans. So, uh, you know, I thought that was uh, really interesting. Yeah. And it all comes to a head for season four when yeah. we get the gang back together. Yep. And the vampires are all, you know, the, their squabbles amongst themselves have kind of been squashed because uh, what's her name? The sun she's taken over. 
uh, and she's trying to just conquer the entire land and subjugate humans and, and go full on evil vampire. Um, it, the whole infinite corridor with, you know, we can bring Dracula back and it all comes to a head and the, the series, I don't want to spoil anything, but the good guys win more or less. <laughs> uh, and at the end of it, we see, um, Saifa and Trevor kind of riding off into the sunset, so to speak. Uh, we'll come back to that later. Uh, and we see Alucard has, throughout season four, he's kind of helped save this township. Um, and he's he's invited them to come start their new village, basically at the base of Castle Dracula. Um, so we get some nice closure on, on him learning to trust and be part of uh, humanity again, because he is part human. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Saifa and... and Trevor get their kind of uh, happy ending, um, yep. literally and figuratively, because yep. uh, that's where the next season's going to come from, apparently. Uh, um, so, <laughs> yeah, I do want to point out that this season was the first time that we see Alucard fully geared up in uh, the gear that he took in to the castle at the start of uh, Symphony of the Night, the okay. game. You know, shield, sword, the whole bit. And when he first uh, walked into the village that uh, called for his help, and, you know, he's in full gear, I am just I stood up and cheered. I was like, yeah, holy cow, this is amazing. So, you know, and, I mean, it was just, for me, being a fan of the game series, it's little details like that that, you know, I just, I was like, oh. Well, that's, it's the perfect way, you know, you hear fan service as the term gets thrown around a lot as a derogatory. Oh, that's just fan service. I never played Symphony of the Night. I had no idea. It didn't affect my viewing. It didn't feel like it was tacked on just to be a thing for fans. But for yourself and people who know that, you stood up and cheered. Like that's that's. And I think throughout the entire show, uh, they've been really good about layering and things like that. Things that if you're a fan of the games, you're gonna know what this is, and you'll you'll have your cheer moment. If you don't know what it is. It's not going to impede your enjoyment. We're not going to, you know, grind the show to a halt to explain this thing to you. If it's important, well, you know, it'll be explained. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's that perfect balance of things in there for the fans and things that are there for the story, and one doesn't bring down the other. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There were plenty of uh, little Easter eggs uh, throughout all four seasons that, you know, and I'm sure I missed some, but the ones that really stood out to me, I was like. Oh. Yes, that is awesome. So, um, but yeah. So to, on this show, we always like to use Rotten Tomatoes as kind of our uh, barometer of how the general public appreciated something. So, to put the whole thing into perspective, currently, right now on Rotten Tomatoes, Netflix uh, Castlevania series has a 94% fresh rating from critics and 89% uh, fresh rating from fans. That's the overall all four seasons. You break that down. Season one was rated at 82%. Season two had a 100%. Season three, 95%. And season four, 100% fresh. According to the critics, not the fans, the critics. Yeah. Uh, and if that doesn't tell you how well done this series does, I don't know what else to say. Uh, it's not a movie. I can't sit here and throw out box office numbers at you. But the fact that both the critics and the fans, you know, the schlubs like us who watch it on our couches at home, to see that consistently high ranking across four seasons of a show, that is phenomenal. Yep, yep. And uh, I did see that uh, when season three came out, it had much higher viewership than season two. 
which usually doesn't happen for shows like this. Netflix is a three and done, and they've talked about this in the past. Most Netflix series don't go past season three, because according to their internal research, after three seasons of a show, it's harder to get new viewers in. They feel like they're already too far behind. It's too much to get caught up on. Most people stop after that. Uh, or they, they might have been a huge fan for one and two, and then they kind of waned around three, and they kind of drop off. So Netflix typically three and done. Mm-hmm. The fact that Castlevania got a four, and they're developing even more, mm-hmm. again, speaks loads to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think now, the premiere of season three, 30 million viewers. Yeah, and so they said that, uh, that COVID didn't have anything to do with that. But I want to point out that season three premiered uh, March 5th, 2020. When did we go into lockdown? Around about then. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, I imagine there were a lot of people sitting around bored in their houses, you know. Yeah, let's watch this. And, oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's the other great thing about it is even though, you know, I, I, I trashed season, season one for not being a season. It's four episodes. And season two, double the episodes. Ooh, eight episodes. Wow. But seasons one, two, and three all together are not even 20 episodes. Uh, Let's see. Uh, no, no, it's like 22 episodes. Yeah, 22. And mm-hmm. they're, they're all about 30 minutes apiece. They're not super long. There's not a whole lot. You, know, you can power through all three seasons in a weekend. Yeah, uh, it's so. While there are four seasons, it's not some giant epic hurl. It's not like Supernatural, where there's 15 seasons, 22 episodes a season, and they're all 42 minutes long. Like that's that's a big hurdle to get past. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's this show doesn't have that that barrier to it. Right. So if you haven't watched it yet and you're intrigued by any of that, definitely give it a chance. Or if you watched some of it but fell off of it, go back and revisit it. It's not that much of an investment of your time. Um, Anything else before we jump off of what we've got? Um, no, I don't think so. We, okay. I think we go to the next thing. So the next section, and this will be a very quick session because there are section because there's not a whole lot. So this is so that's what we've gotten. The game series, which as beloved, spawned multiple systems, kind of evolved over time, led to this series, which has brought even more people into it. Uh, in the immediate future, we know Netflix has already announced, uh, they announced in 2021, at the same time Season 4 was released, we'll be getting a new Castlevania series that doesn't really have a title, or a release date, or a voice cast, or anything. The The little we know about it is it will be set in the same universe as the original series. It'll follow uh, Richter Belmont, the descendant of Trevor and Sypha. Uh, I don't think he's the direct, he's like the great, great, great something. So, so Simon is... The uh, is the son of Trevor and Sypha, and uh, I, I believe that Richter is the grand grandchild or great grandchild of Simon. So we're a few generations after. Yes, but still same bloodline. Uh, we'll also introduce the character Maria Renard from the game series. Yeah, um, you can expound more on that. Yeah, and the last thing we know, it's set during the French Revolution. Yes, which is an interesting time period. Yes, set in. absolutely. Yeah, so Maria Menard in Rondo of Blood, which is where Trevor, or uh, I'm sorry, Richter, Richter Belmont makes his debut. Um, you have a side quest in uh, in the game, and you have to rescue three maidens. One of the maidens is Maria Renard, and she's being used in the ritual to uh, resurrect Dracula. And the uh, the protagonist doing this, his name is Shaft, the Dark Priest. 
Yeah, so... He's one bad <laughs> mother... Shut your mouth. I was talking about shit. <laughs> so, um, the, um, so when you save her, she's like basically a child. I think she's like 12 or 14 years old. And she's like, I'm going to help you. And Richter's like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> and she's like, no, I know magic. I can help you. So, you can... She's a playable character in the game. And um, what's interesting is... You can play her, and the game basically, it's basically the game's easy mode. Because, I mean, she's just stupidly broken. She has, like, a double <laughs> jump, and she uses uh, animal magic for, you know, power-ups where Richter uses weapons, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Great game. So, um, yeah, this, uh, this series will cover Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night, I'm pretty sure, because, uh, the... All, all these characters, Richter and Maria, are in both those games. Um, in Symphony of the Night, Richter gets uh, possessed. His, he gets mind-controlled by Shaft, who's still trying to resurrect Dracula. And you get that he gets Loki'd by Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Richard Rountree? So, um, I'm just going to name, name Shafts. So, oh, okay. And so I am very excited about this. You know, it's uh, like I said; these are my two favorite games in in the series. So, um, I do want to note that on August eighteenth, twenty twenty one, it was reported that uh, Adi Shankar is suing Netflix and Kevin uh, Coldy for excluding him from the spinoff and a breach of contract. So, will that affect? I don't know. I don't think that'll affect production. Uh, I don't know what their contract is, so I don't know the, the, the terms of that. That that sounds more like a behind-the-scenes squabble. Uh, if he was a, <clears throat> an executive producer on the original series, which we just established did very, very, very well for Netflix, and they're cutting him out of that, either he was a pain in the ass to work with or he's asking for too much money. Uh, but I don't see that stopping Netflix from moving ahead with anything unless he is issuing some kind of cease and desist. I don't think... And again, I don't know the the entire who owns what part of the franchise, but uh, if Netflix is putting up the money, they'll continue on with that. Mm. But, uh, and, and, yeah, I don't know. So I also uh, want to touch on the company, the game company Konami. So... That was my next bullet point. Yeah. <laughs> so in... Uh, let me look here. In 2015, they made a global shift to start producing um, casino uh, management systems and games for the uh, casino market. They basically went in, fired all their staff, all their big name, you know, producers. Which uh, you know, the the two big ones that everybody's pissed off about. It was uh, Koji Igarashi, who uh, did a lot of uh, Castlevania work, starting with Rondo of Blood. And, uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, Hideo Kojima, you know, yeah. And uh, they basically said, all these, all our mainline games that you all love, we're not doing any more of. So... Um, yeah, they're making uh, slot machines and pachinko machines. Yeah, based on, patchy slots. Yeah, yep. yeah, on all these big gaming franchises. Yep. Now, it, what's interesting is 
this year, and I don't have an exact date on this, but it, several um, news, new gaming news outlets reported that Konami is going to come back into the gaming market and start producing Silent Hill, Castlevania, and Metal Gear games. That dovetails beautifully with what I asked. So as of April 2021, there are rumors that Sony is in talks with Konami to acquire, I don't know if it's a permanent basis or a license, uh, several of their properties to bring them to PlayStation 5. Oh. Uh, including Metal Gear Solid, Castlevania, uh, and the big thing that they keep talking about is is a, either a new Silent Hill or a remake of Silent Hill mm-hmm. uh, and a remake of Metal Gear Solid. Um, so it's entirely possible that these could be for brand new, because Sony has a brand new system, uh, how great would it be to get exclusive titles for you know Castlevania and all these beloved gaming franchises. On the other hand, it could also be they're trying to secure rights for another anniversary collection or an, another remake of something. We don't know exactly what, but as of April, that, that's the latest I could find, um, there are persistent, credible rumors that Sony is courting Konami trying to get some of these properties. Interesting. Okay. And you know, I'm sorry, but Metal Gear doesn't work without Hideo Kojima. You know, he made that series so weird and outlandish and interesting. You know, Castlevania, I don't see it working without Koji Igarashi, you know, because he was the one that really elevated that series into, you know, what it turned into after Symphony of the Night, you know, because it became an even bigger juggernaut than it was. And then um, Silent Hill, uh, again, I don't know. I, I, you could probably do something with that and make it work. I, of course, I've never was a big Silent Hill fan. But. I'll let you Resident Evil on that. Is, is, you know, that had Resident <laughs> Evil 7 was a big reinvention of the franchise and turned things back on track where the, the franchise had been kind of in a weird spiral of being anything other than survival horror, mm-hmm. which is what its bread and butter was. Um, so if they can turn that around, I have faith for anything. Uh, I know people have been crying for Silent Again, I was never a Silent Hill guy either, so I don't really give a shit. Um, <laughs> right. But Metal Gear Solid is my jam, and I am all for that, and I'm willing to give at least one game a shot without Hideo Kojima, because as many genius ideas as he has, when he starts getting into 30-minute cutscenes about secret organizations called the Lale Lule Lo, he starts to lose me. <laughs> I start to, I start to go... So I'll give at least one other person one shot. Uh, you know, when I'm shooting guards and they go back to sleep. Yeah, right, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this is true, and I'm considering it as good news. Um, and I have a feeling Sony's not the only people sniffing around. Konami has so many amazing intellectual properties for video gaming. Yeah. The fact that they're sitting on... I, I can see them not wanting to, to ground up, build their own games for these, but just to license them out to other companies... They're sitting out of fortune on these. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen sooner or later. Yeah. Um, well, you know, look at the anniversary, or, yeah, the anniversary collections that they've done so far. You know, they've done three of them um, with uh, Castlevania Requiem for the PS4. You know, um, the anniversary collection for multi-console. And those were done, those were ported by uh, the company M2, you know, and they're known for doing these stellar ports yeah. of all these classic well, games. Even uh, the the recent um, Mass Effect Legacy, where it's the, the remake of the first three, well, not remake, but like uh, special edition, whatever version, um, on the, the last um, Bioware uh, like investors meeting, 
it sold way more copies and it did way better than they thought they would. So there's clearly a market for these games that people know and love. Uh, and I'm not saying that they should just take the old, you know, don't just do another port of Symphony of the Night for PS5. Mm-hmm. I want to see something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what brings us to our final topic is what do we as fans want to see? And since we're already heading down this path, obviously we want a new game. Uh, whether that's PC, console, arcade, I don't know. Probably not arcade because arcades are dead. Um, <laughs> what do we want to see from a new Castlevania game? Scott wants to not fall downstairs. <laughs> as long as it ain't no damn 20, 30-year-old side-scroller, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Games today are just a, uh, leaps and bounds beyond that. I, and, and, and you know what? If you want nostalgia, just play the original damn game. Damn it. Don't give me a brand new game that just plays to the nostalgia of people who played the original game when they were five. I don't, I don't I, care. I will, I will. I played the original game tonight. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> he did. I know. I know. But that's just it. Play it. You yeah, know, don't I give didn't... me a brand new game built from the ground up just to play off that nostalgia. Give me, you know, a third party over the shoulder Arkham Asylum. Give me God of War. Give me something. That's that literally will... my pitch for a game is just reskin God of War as a Castlevania game. And I don't just mean copiers they did, but uh, the most recent God of War game, I don't know if you played it or not. I have not. Okay. I have it, I have it uh, in my library on my PS5, but I haven't played it. First of all, it's phenomenal. Uh, second of all, it is incredibly visceral combat. Um, it's They changed. So the God of War franchise is always Greek mythology. For this new series, they're jumping into uh, Norse mythology. It's the same character, but he's now in the world of the, of the Norse gods. Um, graphically, it was gorgeous. It was enough of a combat-oriented game to keep people invested and interested in it. You get new new weapons, new items to up your skills, and, and you level up. There's some RPG elements to it. You craft new armor and things like that. Um, it's linear enough. You don't feel overwhelmed by all the options and places and things you have to go, but it's moving along quickly enough you never get bored with one thing, and there's infinite replay value in it because once you've completed the main story quest you can still go back in the game and complete side quests and and fetch missions and things like that so hours and hours and hours of gameplay in this one thing i feel like a version of that with castlevania just makes sense yeah uh sure put the the time and effort into the graphics and the voice casting so the story is on point uh that fast-paced combat um, the things you could do in a modern game with the the vampire killer Morningstar just look like my I start drooling thinking about all the things you could do with that and all yeah. the augments you could put onto that, um, and the enemy types you could come up with for now. You know, there's so many even in the the NES game. There's so many different kinds of enemies. What would that look like in a game today? I don't know exactly, but the the thought sounds amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can I have a few minutes to talk about Bloodstain? Absolutely. Okay. So we're talking about the future of uh, of the games and what we want to see. So uh, Koji Igarashi in uh, when was it? Uh, 2015. He launched a Kickstarter on May 11th for a uh, game idea that he had called Bloodstained, and it is the spiritual successor to Castlevania. Okay. So, and this came shortly after he was fired from Konami. What a coincidence! Right. <laughs> so. Anyway, yeah, they he met his met his goal. He uh, contracted uh, he con- he contracted uh, a developer ArcPlay to uh, to do the game and Inti Creates. 
um, along with that, one of the stretch goals was they made a companion game, which was a 8-bit retro throwback that uh, basically told story up to the 3D, you know, big game. Uh, you know, they they were they were companions to each other, and uh, yeah, it was just amazing. And last year, uh, they released uh, Bloodstained uh, Two. Uh, the 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 eight bit companion and then uh, the, uh, the curse of the moon are the are the uh, companions and then uh, 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 ritual of the night are the the big title releases you know the big three D you know current gen releases you know these games are they're very much in the style of uh, symphony of the night you know the whole Metroidvania style that we discussed earlier I'm ready to play those again <laughs> after taking <laughs> Taking a nice little hiatus from them, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where the developer that had all these original ideas and you know created these games, you know, developed them for a number of years, went with all this. So and uh, so that's an avenue you can look at too if you want to play some more Castlevania style games. If you want something now, mm-hmm. Bloodstained. Yep, Bloodstained. There you go. So yeah, important safety tip. Thank you. Go yeah. Uh, before we jump off, I have to discuss the one thing I am craving from this franchise, and I have been for a long time, and looking back on it, we've probably dodged a bullet. I want a Castlevania movie, damn it. Uh, <laughs> like live action? Yes, and we no. talked about this earlier. Uh, this project has been in development in various stages with various people for literally decades. Um, at one point, and it hurts me to say this, but I can see it, at one point in the early 2000s, it was being developed, uh, I forget the name of the production company, it was being developed as a project for Paul W.S. Anderson. If you don't know the name, you know his movies. He's the guy that started out doing amazing stuff like uh, Event Horizon and Soldier, and then went on to the original Mortal Kombat movie, and then Resident Evil, and then 18 million Resident Evil sequels, uh, and then Alien vs. Predator, and Three Musketeers, and he's, he's gone very downhill. Uh, his, his career started out great, went very downhill. He started making just crap action sci-fi movies. The first Alien vs. Predator was him. Um, that being said, in the early 2000s, coming off of movies like Event Horizon, one of my favorite horror movies, we recommended you watch it last week, um, <laughs> and the original Mortal Kombat, I can see him being the guy a studio would go to. Uh, I think this was pre-Resident Evil. I don't know the exact dates. Apparently, under him, they had a script... Uh, with an interesting story, it sounded like it was going to be very kind of different in its own thing. It was about a, a group of soldiers seeking refuge in this castle that turns out turns out to be Castle Dracula. One of them was Belmont, which is sort of the origin, was their version of the origin of the Dracula-Belmont feud. Um, and it sounded like an interesting concept. Again, it wasn't a direct storyline from any of the games. It was sort of their own thing. Um, sounded interesting. It never happened, obviously. Uh, but it was recently revealed, uh, like a few months ago, via Twitter, that after Paul W.S. Anderson dropped off the project, James Wan, a very young James Wan, picked up the project. If you don't know James Wan, you know his work. He's the guy that invented Saw, Conjuring, and the Insidious franchises for Warner Brothers. He then went on to do Furious 7, 
and Aquaman, and he's currently directing Aquaman 2. He also did Malevolent, which just came out this year. Hmm. He's a guy that knows horror and knows action. Now, what have you been right at the time? I don't know. But, point being, as soon as someone said Castlevania movie James Wan, I started drooling. The idea of him, I have no idea if he even wants to do it anymore or not, or if Warner Brothers even wants to pick it up. James Wan mostly works with Warner Brothers. Um, but the idea of doing a James Wan directed uh, or produced Castlevania movie, he's got a mind for horror, he knows what scares audiences, he's got a great mind for action, Aquaman is phenomenal, Furious 7, and I'm not a huge fan of the Fast and Furious movies, but that was one of the better ones. Uh, it sort of transitioned into more like a heist movie. Um mm -hmm. It sounds awesome. And Hollywood has been circling Castlevania for decades. We've gotten stuff like the Underworld movies, Van Helsing, Dracula Untold, uh, I would even argue the Blade trilogy, are very much in that vein of classic monster horror with action. Like, we've kind of been doing Castlevania without doing Castlevania. Mm -hmm. I think the time is right. Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. As long as they put... Pork chops and walls that they find when they smash them. Yes, there has to be an Easter egg of someone falling downstairs because they don't know how to go down the stairs, uh, which then leads them to finding a mutton, uh, a leg of mutton in a wall, and we'll be good to go. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. What do you think, Commander Scott? Yeah. <laughs> Very well said. Uh, well, there you have it. That is our take, uh, our, our recap of Castlevania, where it's been, what's coming, and where we'd like to see it go. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, this was a little different for us. It was kind of a state of the franchise, but not quite. It was a state of the franchise for a video game, which we haven't really done before. Uh, thank you, Steve, for being ridiculously overprepared for this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I, I, I love doing it, uh, the prep work and everything. So We appreciate that. Scott? Thanks for bringing Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. I try to do my part, you know, uh, considering when it comes to the games, I've only ever played the first level of the first game. Because <laughs> after that, they, well, even with that, they got really old and annoying. <laughs> so, uh, With that, that is all we have for you this week. Tune in uh, next week for the conclusion of Spooky Month. But until then, this has been your weekly Nerd Alert.